0: Well, hi, everyone. It's Katherine Bishop, president of OEA, and I'm I'm flying solo today, but I have with me Dr. Elizabeth Risch, who's a psychologist on faculty at the University of Oklahoma at the Health Science Center. Dr. Risch, we are so excited to have you on today.
1: Oh, thank you, Katherine. I am equally excited to, to be with you.
0: Right. Well, it. Oh, we're hitting the holidays. Uh you know, been traveling the state, and uh, there has not been one teacher, support professional, administrator that I haven't um, been in contact with that has said that hasn't said these words to me. This is the hardest year ever. And um, so, we're going to talk today about um, educators' well-being, their emotional well-being, um, how they're doing, and um, so through the pandemic. Um, what are some unique um, emotional well-being, emotional mental health um, patterns that you've been seeing during this time?
1: Yeah, I really appreciate it. I'll echo also Catherine just from friends and family uh, working education, that same message of just this being the hardest year. And I think some of the patterns that we see playing up to that is this this lack of control and, and maybe kind of just keeping our heads above water. And that's been the mentality for you know, going on several years now and this, you know, in the pandemic and all the society has been dealt with while people are dealing with their own individual stressors and whether it's financial or grief and loss, and also just the collective, our whole society is going through it together. So um, we're all kind of bearing witness to one another's suffering. And I think that does take um, an extra or places an extra burden um, on our systems, like our education system. Um, and, and so we're seeing that even though maybe in many ways, um, you know, many district schools are back in and everyone was very optimistic about, okay, we can get back, we're like breathe a sigh of relief. But when everyone is coming back in after this, you know, past couple of years of not having control, it is the hardest year ever. You know, that we're we're still not, we didn't get just reset and start fresh you know, like pick right back up where we left off. Unfortunately, we would pick back up with um, lots of lots of catching up and lots of new stressors, and not just from the students, right? But supporting the students, the teachers, and their families too. So it's just it's a lot that we're all collectively going through,
0: right? And so many times I've I've heard from educators that um, it it was almost like yeah we're back face to face, but it was back to business as usual that none of this had happened. Yeah, no. So right, talk to us a little bit about that, what what you're seeing in that that area as well.
1: Yeah, I think that's so much of all of us um, wishing and hoping, and probably teachers get that message from parents of like, let's just have everything be normal again, mm-hmm. you know, whatever normal is. Um, and just wanting to kind of maybe move forward too quickly without acknowledging just all the suffering that we've all been through. Um, and And the expectation that we should just pick up and, and, and then not be affected by the past couple of years. And so I think that is probably a message that when, whether that comes from, you know, people in leadership, or it just comes from their own expectations for themselves, that's an extra, you know, like a burden that we're putting that we just, we should be able to when, um, things are still quite tough. Yeah.
0: Do you think that people have, um, you know, it starts with self, right? <laughs> whether it's self-care, self-reflection, self, um, is what, what do you see as the most important thing that individuals need to be doing right now when it comes to self?
1: Oh gosh, that is such a good question. Um, and, and I don't know, I almost want to even just shift us. I do think it is about taking care of ourselves, but mm-hmm. we get so inundated with the languaging around self-care that yeah. I don't know if you hear this message from teachers as well, but I hear a lot of people are so exhausted of being told, well do more self care. Yeah. And and it can add on top of, you know, this feeling of I'm already stressed and exhausted, but now I feel guilty that I'm not doing enough, you know, yoga or whatever it is. Yeah. to to feel better at the end of the day or or maybe feeling frustrated with being told to do more, you know, that hey, life is busy enough. Um so when I you know, kind of look at wellness um, in in anyone, whether it's educators or you know, coming from the mental health field, people who work as counselors, physicians. It's it's really about getting away from this idea. Uh, so I guess the my, my this is my answer, long-winded answer to your question, but getting away from it, the idea, this kind of like false dichotomy we have created that. Our work in these helping professions, these really important, vital jobs, that our work is just going to drain us down. And so after work, we have to do something to build back up. Like we're kind of like little batteries that either drain down each week or month, and then we have to recharge. Um, I think if we could abandon that mentality, it would move us forward so much. Because the the reality is that we don't have stress-free, like, after-work lives right, and um, and so we we kind of put ourselves in this position that work is just gonna drain us, and then, after work, I bounce back um, and, it, and it does a disservice to really what we're bearing witness to, and then also it ignores any of the joy or fulfillment we get from our jobs too it It takes that away, kind of puts things in just two compartments of work versus life, right so so
0: paint a picture for us. what would that look like? um but sometimes, you know, we think you 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 said it perfectly. Sometimes we're like, "Oh my gosh, I have to take care of myself," and so now I need to go do this and this and this, which creates more stress. What 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 would that look like? That somebody if they gave themselves permission <laughs> to live this this well beingness that they need to have, what would that look
1: like? Yeah, yeah, and it's really it, it's an act. It becomes an act of practice and. What I pull from is, because instead of it, right, it's been, we've known about burnout for for decades now, and it's very present on everyone's minds now, but we haven't had a good model for what to do about it. It's been these piecemeal solutions, like do more meditation or Mm -hmm. vegetables. And so what I pull from is um, Dr. Brian Miller, who's a psychologist, has developed really an overarching model to change how we go about our work rather than do extra things later. Um, now, I'm certainly not against self-care. I love a happy hour or <laughs> whatever. Right. I feel like a bubble bath. Everyone's quiet. Like, yeah. yeah, I'm all for it. It's just simply not sufficient. So it's one part of this model. Um, but it, it's changing the way we go about the way we work and taking what we know from mental health and from things like managing stressors and healing from trauma and applying that to ourselves you know, sometimes we, we put ourselves on a pedestal in our professional lives and to say, "Oh, this shouldn't affect me." And so there are a lot of these um, beliefs we come into that if we look at what people learn to manage stress or again heal from trauma in in therapy, it's the opposite. Um, maybe one example I could give uh, kind of like a a myth that's out there that I think, Can do harm is we all hear about the term like compassion fatigue, Mm -hmm. right? And I can't imagine as teachers who, uh, all the teachers I've known, are amazingly caring, invested people that just have this natural knack for like connecting with their students. And I think they are, it makes them so good at their jobs, right? Mm -hmm. But here we're sending this message that if you connect too much or you have too much compassion or you care too much, that it's gonna come at a cost to you that it's going to cause you harm and lead to burnout, and so you know that message we've given is almost asking people to be like a martyr. It's like what you either do your job well or you right. The and, and the interesting thing is, Catherine, that that's not supported by data, that's not what we see when we look at compassion. Um, and if people think about it, compassion, true compassion. It's truly energizing, like when you have a connection with a person, even if it's something heavy or even if they're going through something tough, you feel connected, you leave feeling lighter after talking to them. And so compassion really isn't the, the enemy. So that's just one example that I think we go in giving advice like kind of put up walls or don't get too connected or don't run out of compassion and really compassion self-sustaining. We, we instead, in this model, look for skills to get to compassion. Right. Uh, would actually promote wellness.
0: So, and, and how to be healthy about that yeah. and know when it's not too much. And so that kind of leads me into another area is We're going to be doing a lot of work with you, um, in upcoming months. And we're so excited about that. So kind of, um, tell us a little bit what we have on the horizon.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I am equally excited. Um, I, we are, we're going to be doing a number of different things, um, together. And so some of this will be outreach just to start to shift the way we think about wellness, right? So just to kind of entertain that there is hope, even when we have super busy lives at school and super busy lives at home, it's shifting, it's more mindset, small practices that we can do. So it's doable, it's attainable, it's skills-based. So we're going to start having, um, uh, some different trainings offered um, in the new year in 2022 that are going to be open, um, uh, offered through OEA, um, also through uh, Oklahoma City Public Schools. There will be some through their night series. And um, and I believe at the annual uh, conference that's-
0: uh, yeah. Our, yeah, our organizing conference coming up in February. Yeah.
1: Okay. So yeah, so we'll be there. I have several colleagues here at OU who also are national trainers in this wellness model along with me. And so we'll be kind of dividing and conquering, but really finding ways um, to kind of share information. Um, so we think of like these these ideas that maybe come from the mental health field, but really are just, they're good for all of us and taking care of ourselves and we need it now more
0: than ever. And And what I always love about this is when you know i you hear the analogy all the time put your face you know put your oxygen mask on first before you you know put your child's on or whatever but it but it is true but it's it's that recognition of our our well-being and what we need to do um you know so i i realized this weekend i over thanksgiving i thought i am just going to veg well i realized that was not the best thing for me <laughs> you know, to know when, when is that right time. And so I am extremely excited about our work we have going forward with you and your colleagues. And because I know when, once we, we help educators, we're going to be helping our students. We're going to be helping our communities and our families. And that's going to be so exciting to, um, and it's so needed right now.
1: And and yeah, and what more important support can we give? And I think, to those who are serving our children, our next generation, yeah. and in public education, and so absolutely, it's much needed and such good benefit. Um, because you're right, it is. We we do have to take care of those who are caring for others um, to do good work.
0: Yeah. Well, Dr. Rich, thank you for being with us today, and we are so excited about our journey that we're going to have with you uh, throughout these coming uh, months and and into the year and um, to make sure that we're providing those uh, emotional well-being supports uh, for everyone. So thank you again for being with us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Catherine. It's a pleasure.
2: We are so honored and excited today to be joined by Allison Black, who's the president of the Oklahoma Council for Indian Education Board. Um, Allison, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Good. Um, So before we jump into OCIE, for folks who might not know you, give us a little background about your um, career in
3: education. Good day. My name is Standing. I'm Cheyenne, but I also come from the Ponca, Osage, and Prairie Band Potawatomi people. Uh, My English name is Allison Black. I am the current Native American Programs Coordinator for Epic Charter Schools. Um, And my role in Indian education um, is has been an advocate. Um, I'm a lifelong Indian ed student. Um, I've served on parent committees. Um, I've coordinated the grant myself for over five years now. Um, I'm not a traditional teacher, but I've taught Native American studies, a class I developed. Um, I started at a JUCO, Northern Oklahoma College, and earned an yeah. associate's degree. Um, and obtained my bachelor's degree from Oklahoma State University, um, and then I have a master's in education from Oklahoma State University as well.
2: Awesome. So tell us, uh, tell us, sort of big picture, what is the Oklahoma
3: Council for Indian Education? What What do you guys do? What are your goals? Our goal is to provide activities and services that um, open opportunities for our Native American students and their families to help educators across the state um, bring more culturally sensitive and relevant information into their school districts and provide them with those resources. And we also do um, student and family advocacy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just we, we create events that help Bring awareness to issues that affect our native students and families, <clears throat> but we also um, directly work with families and communities to to um, to advocate for those issues within their school districts or or however they may be, um, whatever they face. So you
2: have uh, your big conference coming up uh, the first weekend of December. So um, why is it important to to get together? What are the things you guys are
3: are working on? Right. So our conference, and I must stress that OC is a grassroots organization. So we don't have any formal funding. We're not um, from any state department or federal department. Mm -hmm. Um, Back in the early 80s, a group of Native educators got together and created the conference first. Oh, that's I didn't realize that. That's really cool. Yeah, I didn't know that until a few years ago myself, but um, they created the conference first, and I believe the first one was held in Norman, um, and then the board came after that, actually. Oh, okay, to keep the conference, and yeah, cool. Yeah, and so um, the purpose of the conference um, is, you know, to get those Native educators together, because nationally and statewide, we make up less than 1% of the um, teacher population, um, and those those. Those numbers really haven't grown very much. So um, sometimes when teachers, native teachers, work in school districts, you know they they're the lone native in that um, district or you know one of very few. So um, sometimes it feels like you're kind of working on an island. So we provide this opportunity for for them. But we also do a lot of um, resource sharing, best practice sharing. Um, we we share um, ways to to develop curriculum, to review curriculum. Um, Uh, You know, teach each other. You know how to do crafts, um, and provide a a support space as well. Um, And then one of the things that's really important is to keep our membership and um, and school administrators attend up to date on all of the policy and um, things that affect our native students and our native teachers as well. So um, it's kind of a big potluck. (laughs) Yeah. So
2: to kind of back up on what you were saying about um the the teacher workforce that one percent that really is surprising and I think about our state that's you know we we I mean the teacher workforce everywhere folks are trying to be more reflective of the general population that I mean that just really surprises me when you say that so what are some why is that and what are the
3: solutions to that I really wish I knew what our um why we don't make up that much. I mean, we have such a small population. Um, yeah. we do Because we do have the largest Native student population in the United States. Right. Um, the second highest population of Native Americans. And we have 39 federally recognized tribes in the state. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm not really quite sure. Um, maybe it has something to do with the trauma that we've received from the education system, um, you know that the purpose of it was to eliminate our way of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe that has something to do with it. Um, opportunities might not be available. Um, you know, a, a lot of things. Um, yeah. And the solutions. Cool. <laughs> um, well, I know that the National Indian Education Association definitely has an initiative to try to recruit more Native teachers um, and they're partnering out with different organizations to to try to get those um to recruit more teachers. Yeah.
2: Um, you did mention and to backtrack again, you did mention about um, you know, sharing resources. what um, what advice do you have for educators who are um, non-native? for navigating, you know, the search for resources? How do you know when um, materials are appropriate? Or if it's just something that someone has thrown out on teachers paid teachers and it's like right. completely inappropriate. How do you how do you navigate that as a non-native educator?
3: Well, I'm g- guilty of downloading things from teacher <laughs> teachers from time to time, you know, like an organizer. It's or okay. No, it's okay. <laughs> Um but uh yeah, I I, I tend to to discourage um, educators from using that place unless they know that the the um creator of that template or that lesson plan or whatever right, right. Is indigenous and and verifies that they're indigenous. And um and that goes for across the board if you're looking at your resources, who created it, who benefits from it. Um and some of them, you know, I I remember using and seeing a lot of um, National Geographic um, lesson plans that seemed culturally appropriate for me, but the more that, you know, I'm still learning as an educator, as an indigenous person, what, Mm -hmm. who's developing and who's contributing, Um, and so um, looking back, I I just would look at who's developing that content, if it's indigenous creator, um, you know, indigenous resources on those uh, specific um, lesson plans another resource um obviously if you do have an Indian education program in your school and I can it can be called a lot of things it can be called, called title six it could be JoM it could be called Indian education or Native American programs uh-huh. if you have that um, and you're just really unsure of where to start they are a good resource for you to to um, know where to start um they can get you in contact with um you know the, the the tribes um, with uh, Indian native specific um, curriculum um, but I, that that's a good place to start but if you don't have those um, those resources available to you a good way to look at it is just to start local and so yeah. as I mentioned before we have 39 federally recognized tribes so um, a, a lot of tr- school districts will be within um, the boundaries of a tribal. Um, tribe and no. so where I'm at in Red Rock and I was at Stillwater Public Schools before Epic, no. we have so many tribes that surround us to the north of us is the Oto Missouri, the Tonkawa, Ponca, Osage people, to the east and northeast is the Pawnee, the Second Box and um, Iowa Nation. So I always pulled um, my curriculum or my my um, lessons or any information that I needed from the tribes first. Um, And most tribes have an education department too. And I was just on a panel not too long ago with a a few of the um, tribal education directors. Um, And I used to work in that position a few years ago. And um, at the time we were, you know, we did our best to share resources, but in the last few years with Title VI grant, guidelines, we're having to, we are mandated to consult with tribes mm-hmm. that are miles within our our, our um, school district. And okay. so because of that, I think it's created this urgency among tribes to really be ready for that um, school yeah. district, district to reach out to them. And they are taking the leads on these <clears throat> consultations and developing curriculum, or at mm-hmm. least developing a um, line of communication for school districts and tribes to work together. So, um,
2: those are definitely like,
3: resources. That seems
2: like a lot of progress from even 10 years ago.
3: Definitely, definitely. Um, I believe the tribal consultation mandate came out in 2016 and mm-hmm. it was uh, just a just a letter from the Office of Indian Education that said, and it was one paragraph long that said, um, <laughs> oh, sorry, I had something pop up on my screen. That's um, okay that said you must man you must consult with a local tribe that's 50 miles within your school district and it literally just said that and so school districts didn't know what to do with that. Um and so I think the first couple of years was pretty rough. We were trying to figure that out. But the tribes really stepped up to um to to get ready for that relationship and school districts started learning more about it. Um Superintendent Hoffmeister really helped a lot when she um she uh, Put out information for school districts, <clears throat> and uh, th- it's been a great working relationship between um, tribes, the Oklahoma State Department, and LEAs when it comes to Title VI yeah. tribal consultations. And it's still a work in progress; it's not yeah. perfect by any means, but I think it's really opened up a lot of um, uh, avenues for teachers to get more resources.
2: That's really exciting.
3: I mean, yeah. then in the end, this the ones who benefit are students exactly exactly um sometimes you know uh what i have found when i've done tribal consultations is like you know as much as you know i'm an indigenous person and connected to my community and culture i find new things all the time that are available yeah. to students and um, if these conversations weren't happening um we wouldn't know about the the covid resources or higher yeah. um, yeah. education opportunities or heck you know even like cultural crafting and in school sculpt- school districts. So, um, so why, why is that important for
2: students, both indigenous and non-indigenous students? Um, how does that pay off for our kiddos?
3: Definitely. And I'll give my own tribe as a specific example. Yeah. Um, the Cheyenne Arapaho tribe, I'm a, a tribal member there and, mm-hmm. um, the education department is, um, uh, led by Carrie Whitlow and she is phenomenal. Like if you all she's an excellent resource, but um, specifically um, the Clinton Public Schools and the China Arapaho Tribes of Oklahoma have excellent partnership. They actually partnered on a STEP grant, and that was, um, it's a grant offered by the Office of Indian Education, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, Native Native American Youth community block grant. So many acronyms
2: too. <laughs> um, <laughs> Educators love acronyms. We love them.
3: <laughs> but um, in this partnership, they've they, uh, taken services into the school. And and from what I understand, um, what Carrie has shared with me is that they were seeing that seventh and eighth graders weren't doing so well when they went into high school. So the cheyenne Arapaho tribes went in and offered tutoring oh. and mentoring. Oh, wow. Yeah. For those students, and they work in the school district specifically with after-school programming and cultural activities. And even when there was a situation that arose a few weeks ago with the uh, Clinton student, um, the tribe really intervened and and have been working with that school district to provide cultural uh, teacher professional development. So that's how students that's awesome. benefit. and not just native students, because of right. the teacher professional development,
2: you know, yeah. the non-native
3: students are going to be able to learn. Um, more and accurately about Native American people.
2: Yes. Um, so, how can um, folks get involved with the Oklahoma Council for Indian Education? What do they need to do?
3: So, I have to put this disclaimer out there really quick. Um, okay. We, we accept everybody and we always need help, but we are a 100% volunteer board. So, we don't have a formally paid staff to. Yeah. Um, to manage any of our operations. So um, we we definitely take any kind of assistance or volunteers. Um, But right now, the biggest, easiest way to join us would be to um, pay for a membership and attend our conference. And then that will open up the opportunities to 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 get the resource sharing that's available at conferences and then stay up to date with all of our activities and services. And then you can always email one of the representatives or myself and, you know, hey, I'm available to help review applications. And, you know, that's that's a great way to get um, uh, involved with us and share our stuff. We really rely on social media and and people to share our stuff for us.
1: Yeah,
2: well. Thank you so much for taking the time to visit and thank you for all of
3: the work that you're doing for Oklahoma Kids. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me today.
0: Well, let's just take some time and catch up with Catherine. I know you uh, enjoyed uh, listening with uh, Dr. Risch and uh, we are looking forward to continuing our work uh, with her and her group, as we really help focus on our educators' uh, social and emotional well-being, and but we want most importantly to during this holiday season that it that you're able to find compassion and joy um, as we are getting ready to he- head into our holiday breaks coming up. Um, just a quick reminder that on December 16th uh, at 4:30. It is our knowledge in 50 series, and this is a. I you're going to want to listen in uh, and join OEA member Heather Davis from Bartlesville Education Association. Uh, she is an expert. She is a master at project based learning, and uh, so she is going to in 50 minutes. She's going to help. Uh, provide that professional learning to learn more about project-based learning and how to use it in your classrooms, which is so important. Remember, uh, registration is free, but you need to register. So that way uh, you'll be able to get the link and and join in. And so we look forward for uh, you joining in and and project-based learning is so vitally important as a, um, a way to help our instruction and reach all of our learners. We'd like to say a special thank you today to Dr. Elizabeth Risch from OU College of Medicine on Mental Health and Allison Black, President of the Oklahoma Council for Indian Education, for joining us today. And thank you for listening to Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Catherine Bishop, President of the OEA. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review Fried Okra on Apple Podcasts. You can also contact us at Podcast at gmail.com. We hope you'll join us again next week. Until then, keep fighting the good fight for public education.